The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, 11 a.m. in Kiev, and here is your top five at five. Is the win streak in jeopardy? Stocks under pressure after markets posting their best week in two years. Oil on the rise once again. Breaking this morning, reports of a deadly 737 crash in China. Details slowly rolling out, but Boeing stock is being sold off. In Ukraine, pushing back against a Russian ultimatum to surrender a key port city. Still, hope for peace talks endure. Disney CEO Bob Chapek taking more action today around a controversial Florida law. And Saudi Arabia recovering from one of the worst drone attacks it has ever seen, targeting key oil-producing infrastructure. It is Monday, March 21st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. We will get you more on the developing Boeing story in just one moment. But right now, let's get to your macro Monday money futures. They are slightly lower across the board, down about two-tenths of one percent. All that is investors hope for some positive follow-through to last week's market move. With the Dow ended up more than six percent, ending a five-week losing streak. And all the major averages pop back above their 50-day moving averages, having some of their best weekly gains since late 2020. In bonds, the 10-year yield, it moved higher last week as well. Right now, stands at 2.19%, which means that mortgage rates are likely to rise the coming weeks. We'll talk more about housing in just a couple of moments. It's also hit crude oil. It is on the move higher. There was an attack on a Saudi oil facility over the weekend. We'll get you more on that in a moment. Remember, the last loads of Russian crude oil coming to America, still, by the way, on their way or in port, will unload later this week. And that will take about 3% of our oil supply off the market. Oil at $109.50, up nearly $5 per barrel. All right, let's get down to that breaking news to share on Boeing, at least what we know, which apparently involves a serious crash of one of its 737 jets in China. Full details are still light, but China's aviation authority has confirmed that a plane operated by China Eastern Airlines crashed a few hours ago in a mountainous area in southern China. No indication on the number of any dead or injured just yet. Rescuers have been dispatched to the site, but there are reports of part of the mountain area where it crashed being on fire, indicating a likely very serious accident. Again, very little yet is known, except that a Boeing 737 has crashed in southern China. Boeing stock right now down 6.5%. I would shave about 84 points off the Dow at current levels. Again, very light volume, fewer than 300,000 shares. But a story that we will watch and bring you more as it develops throughout the day. Obviously, wishing the very best for anyone involved in that. All right, now let's go global. As European and Asian markets begin relatively quiet weeks to their week, I should watch what I say, at least for now, even as oil continues its rise once again. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom, and I just by jinxed it by saying it was a quiet week. That was a terrible 
an amateurish mistake on my part. Rosanna, good morning. <laughs> Well, Brian, we did inherit, like you said there, a quiet lead for a major overnight, of course, before the latest news flow. And it's translated into quite a quiet, low volatility session here in Europe this morning. The FTSE 100 is actually the outperformer here, up by around half a percent. But as you can see, many indexes actually trading in the red so far this morning. The FTSE MIB, the outperformer, actually at eight-tenths of a percent up. There's a bit of oil news out there, as you mentioned, energy prices pushing things higher, but also trading off anything to do with the idea of peace talks for the market. It just seems to be it's okay that peace talks are happening no matter the outcome. Any positivity out there is being grasped at the moment. As we know, the situation on the ground in Ukraine is still incredibly dire. Let's give you a look, though, at how the sectors are shaping up with all this in mind. Because one to point out, basic resources and oil and gas are both heavy in the greens this morning, up around 2% apiece. Oil and gas, of course, off that jump that we've seen in oil prices for the reasons you've already mentioned. Basic resources, keep an eye on that because Australia has just banned exports of Alumina to Russia. That's pushed aluminium prices up this morning above 5%. Amazing that they're already at record highs. They continue to press higher. That is so bad for so many industries that require aluminum, whether it's cars or even solar panels. Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much. All right, now to Ukraine and the Russian invasion. Now in its 26th day, here is the very latest. Moscow is regrouping its forces for a renewed offensive on Kyiv. That according to Ukrainian military officials, the latest push of the capital coming as Russia continues to tighten its grip around Mariupol in the southeast. Just this morning, Ukrainian leaders rejecting a Russian ultimatum to surrender the key port city that would be in exchange for open humanitarian corridors out of the area. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky continues to push for peace. Meantime, Speaking in front of Israeli leaders yesterday, Zelensky said that Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett is, quote, trying to find a way to negotiate with Russia and adding that Jerusalem could be the right place to find peace, if at all possible. Back here in D.C., President Biden will hold a call with his counterparts from Germany, France, the U.K. and Italy today. A multilateral call coming ahead of Biden's planned trip to Europe on Thursday. And the White House now says the president will also travel to Poland on Friday to discuss the humanitarian crisis with Polish President Andrzej Duda. All right, to Capitol Hill now, where a week of high-profile confirmation hearings for President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, are set to get underway today. And even before that hearing gets underway, the political fireworks are already on full display. NBC News' Bree Jackson joining us now from D.C. with a preview of what should be a very big week on Capitol Hill. Bree, good morning. Good morning. You're absolutely right, Brian. Well, President Biden's first Supreme Court pick is also the first woman, black woman, nominated to the Supreme Court. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson has been preparing for these hearings for weeks. Now, that includes mock hearings as well as a walkthrough of today's hearing rooms. Judge Jackson has also met with every member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. President Joe Biden's first Supreme Court nominee, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, begins an historic week of confirmation hearings today. She's become a familiar face on Capitol Hill. This is her fourth time before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And three previous times, uh, she came through with flying colors and bipartisan support. It's clear that her credentials and the breadth of her experience 
are impressive. Jackson will face tough questions from senators this week, including criticism of her record on the U.S. Sentencing Commission and Republican attacks claiming she's soft on crime. I don't want us to attack her as a human. Um, I want us to be having a debate about what her judicial philosophy is, because when you go on the court, if you get lifetime tenure, it's because you don't confuse yourself with a super legislator. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he's keeping an open mind. I haven't made a final decision as to how I'm going to vote. Jackson could be confirmed without any Republican votes if all 50 Senate Democrats stick together. President Biden wants bipartisan support. For too long, our government, our courts haven't looked like America. And I believe it's time that we have a court that reflects the full talents and greatness of our nation. If confirmed, Judge Jackson would be the first black woman to sit on the high court in its more than 200-year history. Now, the hearings come amid news that Justice Clarence Thomas has been hospitalized. We were told that he was admitted on Friday with flu-like symptoms, uh, but the court says that uh, Justice Thomas is receiving antibiotics and is expected to be released from the hospital soon. Brian? It is a big week in Washington, D.C. Bree Jackson, we're glad you're there. Thank you very much. All right, let's get a check down on some of your other key headlines that are happening right now, including another attack on Saudi oil facilities. That has the price of crude oil higher as well. Savannah now is here with that and more. Good morning, Savannah. Brian, good morning. That's right. So Yemen's healthy rebels unleashing one of their most intense drone and missile strikes on Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure yesterday, setting off fires at one site and temporarily shutting oil production at another. Saudi military officials report no one died in the bombings and say another sea-based attack was also thwarted. Speaking with reporters hours after the attacks, Saudi Aramco CEO Amin Nasser said the attacks had no material impact on oil supplies. China's tech hub Shenzhen lifting its week-long partial lockdown today as government officials say the recent COVID-19 outbreak is coming under control. The city will now allow government agencies and companies to resume normal operations. Bus and subway service will also resume. Shenzhen is home to some of China's biggest companies, including Huawei and Tencent. And Disney is trying to tamp down employee unrest over its refusal to publicly oppose a Florida bill barring some schools from discussing gender issues with young children. In that effort, the company will host a company-wide town hall today focused on gender issues, a platform Disney has previously used to discuss black representation, violence against Asian Americans, and anti-Semitism. And Brian, today's town hall comes after CEO Bob Chapek told employees in an email last week that we, that he was sorry for not being a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights, adding the company is increasing its support for advocacy groups to combat similar legislation to the Don't Say Gay bill in other states. It's also pausing all political donations in the state of Florida. So we'll just have to see if uh, mm, Gil's employees get some answers. Yeah, pausing uh, the donations. We'll see how long that we'll pause see. certainly lasts. Florida, exactly. a very important state for Disney. Savannah, thank you. You got it. All right, we are just getting started on this Monday. And when we come back here, your morning RBI with some rarely heard positive data points on COVID. Even as concerns rise about another wave, you're going to want to hear these. Plus, Ben Emmons is here with the three key investable themes that are now developing in the stock market. Later on, more on that reported crash of a Boeing 
37 in China. Boeing shares are down about 6.5% in the pre-market. Very few other details are known. We will bring you the very latest as we get them. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back, or welcome and good morning, by the way. Your first guest today says there are now three key investable themes developing in the stock market. Number one, the hope that inflation may be close to peaking soon as the Fed raises rates. Number two, small and mid-cap stocks could prosper, particularly those in one key segment. And three, emerging markets could rebound strongly as well. Let's talk about all of them. Ben Emmons of Medley Global Advisors. Uh, joining us now, Ben, thank you. Uh, inflation, obviously, we know it's probably going to get worse in the short term before it gets better. We could have a 10% consumer price index print in the months ahead. But of course, markets look out a little further than that. Do we have to start adjusting how and where we invest based on inflation expectations? Morning, Brian. Yeah, I think that's the case. You know, the message from the Fed last week was taken with you know, a lot of credibility in the markets. And it, it was not a reaction you would otherwise expect with major volatility in stocks and you know, significantly higher uh, interest rates and lots of volatility there. It was really about the Fed is starting really to get ahead of this inflation problem and may indeed hike with more than just 25 basis points in the foreseeable future. So it's what we call bringing forward the rate hikes or front-loading I think that brings indeed the opportunity that inflation at some point starts to moderate. And for the Fed, it has an advantage, right? It is the central bank of the reserve currency. So the dollar strengthens more as a compounding effect on global commodity prices to moderating inflation in the future. So I think that brings along the opportunities in the small mid-cap growth stocks, emerging markets. I think those are the opportunities to go with. On the emerging market side, Ben, if we start to see inflation moderate a little bit, a lot of these input costs, I mean, you look at things like the price of fertilizer, it's going to just surge food costs. Poorer nations are going to be less likely to be able to afford what they need. Uh, there's a lot of other implications outside of markets of so things like that. But if inflation does hopefully moderate a bit, is that part of the reason why you think specific emerging markets outside, obviously, the U.S. will benefit? What is the connection? Yeah, I think you want to look at it from two ways. So one is the thing that was sort of happening last year where you had central banks in particularly Latin America getting already much faster ahead of inflation than here in the United States, so that's Brazil and Chile as an example. Those markets are up year to date and interest rates have risen there quite a bit. Their inflation is moderating. But now, as you mentioned, like you have 
the shock from, from uh, Ukraine on global commodities, um, but you also have now pledges by one, China, trying to stabilize its market. And believe it or not, that Russia did pay its coupon on the dollar bonds, which means the hard default is off the table. So I think that's another sort of short-term momentum behind the emerging market trade. And lastly, if we do get to some sort of ceasefire, which seems to be slowly happening, part of that will be reflected into the commodities market, taking out all this war premium, as we call it. So I think that all benefits the emerging markets, not all out emerging markets, but look at that broader emerging market index, yeah. the ETF. That's really lacking out to the one that's ex-Russia, ex-China. I think that's where your opportunity is. And, and- before we let you go, Ben, also a name like a CVS. I, I did a hell of a transition there from emerging markets to U.S. healthcare stocks, but that's the kind of thing that you're thinking about. Yeah, if you think about, like, we don't really want to talk anymore about the, about the pandemic, but we actually do have to, to an extent. Like, we have another sort of, I guess, surge on the way. You know, the stay-at-home trade is another one that's not talked about much, but has lagged a lot since last year. I think that's coming a little bit back here. It's two ways, reasons too. We have high inflation, so people may not do as much outside it for a period of time. Plus, the COVID issue may come back a bit, so that trade may revive a bit. CVS is really undervalued opportunity. Yep. That's one example. I'm not an analyst on it, but it's one example. Yeah, that's the stay-at-home trade. All right. Well, it's a very good example. It's a name that we're going to watch, emerging markets as well, and hopefully a moderation or mitigation of inflation. Ben Emmons. Medley Global Advisors, Ben, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks, on deck. As rates rise and inflation booms, is the housing market in for a world of hurt? Your next guest says it could be, but there's one other big problem that nobody else is talking about. We will. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Uh, welcome or welcome back, everybody. All this week, CNBC is looking at equity and opportunity for women. And while government data shows that women spend up to 80% more than men on their health care, a recent McKinsey report found that outside of cancer, women's health issues garner just 2% of health care investments. But a new generation of women in health tech is looking to close that gap. And as Bertha Coombs reports, investors, they are paying attention. I don't think my human eye would have said, that's the spot. To Dr. Connie Lehman, a breast cancer scan is like a fingerprint. It's so unique to that woman. The Mass General Radiologist is leveraging artificial intelligence to more accurately assess a woman's personal risk for breast cancer beyond traditional biomarkers. 
All of our patients who identify patients of color have really been left behind in this domain. The risk models that are being used in healthcare were built on European Caucasian women. Her research quickly attracted investors. Last year, she chose Sante Ventures to help her launch Clarity and find a CEO committed to health equity. Women are a huge portion of the population and control a lot of spend. It's an underserved area that has a lot of room uh, for expansion. Venture capital funding for so-called femtech devoted to women's health tripled since 2015 to nearly $1.9 billion last year, according to PitchBook. Beyond breast cancer, McKinsey analysts say fertility, maternal health, and gynecology have attracted the most investment. Firms like Maven Clinic, focused on reproductive health benefits, are also attracting employers, says investor Dina Shakir. This is not just a nice to have, it's a necessity to retain women in the workforce. And so there are increasingly large employer budgets for prenatal care, for maternal care, for pediatric care. To Dr. Lehman, it's no surprise women-led firms are leading the charge. The data also shows that they're more likely to have equitable approaches to healthcare. They are more likely to invest in domains that help women as well as men. As for Dr. Lehman's breast cancer program, Clarity has filed for FDA approval and her startup is hoping to get approved within the year, Brian. Bertha, thank you. Uh, How many of these companies are getting ready to go public? How many are very early stage young tech companies? Sort of where in the life cycle of investing are many of these names you've talked to? A lot of them are still early stage. Maven had a big round last August uh, of more than $110 million, including Oprah Winfrey among the investors. So they're one of the big unicorns in the space. The one that has gone public, Progeny, they deal with fertility and uh, maternity issues. That stock, like a lot of health tech stocks, has not uh, fared so well in the public market. But It is coming up. It's an area that a lot of folks are very interested in because, Brian, you know, we're half the population, women. Bertha Coombs, an important story there and one, by the way, that investors are taking note of, too. Bertha, thank you. We'll see you all day here on CNBC. All right. Well, as we head to break, some of this morning's other big money movers, Nielsen Holdings rejecting a roughly $9 billion takeover offer from a private equity group. Nielsen saying the offer from the group, which includes Elliott Management, simply undervalues the TV ratings company. Shares of Nielsen, by the way, they are down. A different story for shares of Anaplan. It is surging on a Wall Street Journal report that private equity firm Tama Bravo plans to buy the software maker for nearly $11 billion. Who is Anaplan? Well, they got more than 1,900 customers, including Coca-Cola, Shell, and VMware. And employees at Facebook's parent company apparently looking to jump ship. Their stock continues to drop. According to the New York Post, Meta employees holding stock options are voicing their frustration with the company on online forums. Shares have fallen from an all-time high of more than 380 to 215, meaning some of those employees' options may not be worth anything or very much at all. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. Stocks lower as oil rises again. Markets coming off their best week in more than a year, but a big attack on Saudi Arabia as crude oil higher. Russia regrouping as its army tries to capture key cities in Ukraine and issues an ultimatum 
one port city. This is President Biden looks to rally world leaders before heading to Europe. And we continue to follow that breaking news out of China and a crash involving a Boeing 737 jet. Details slowly roll, rolling out. Boeing shares are selling off on this Monday, March 21st. And this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. I'll give you much more on that Boeing story in just one moment. But in the meantime, let's check the macro markets, because remember, Boeing is a Dow stock. And right now it is lower about 6%, which should impact not only the markets, but the macro futures. And indeed it is. We were already lower, by the way, coming into the morning session ahead of that news. Futures right now down just under 100 on the Dow about the same in terms of percent for the Nasdaq. One big reason for that may be that oil, oil is higher again. Crude oil nearing 110 per barrel here. It is more than that overseas. There was a drone attack on a Saudi facility over the weekend. And remember, the last loads of Russian crude oil coming to America should unload in U.S. ports this week. That will take about 3% of our oil supply, give or take, off the market. Crude oil at 108.52 right now. Also watching Chevron shares, more than 500 workers at a gasoline production plant in San Francisco have officially gone on strike after voting down a recent contract offer. Chevron shares actually higher right now, but the strike comes as California faces some of the highest gas prices in the United States. Some crazy scenes of these outlier stations like Death Valley with like eight or nine dollar gas, but that's obviously extreme outliers. All right. Now to what we know and do not know on that Boeing crash in China, which apparently involves a serious accident with one of its 737 jets in China. Details are still light, but China's aviation authority has confirmed that a plane operated by China Eastern Airlines did crash a few hours ago in a mountainous area in southern China. There were 132 people on board. No indication on the number of casualties or injuries just yet, rescuers have been sent to the site. Now, Flight Radar 24 reports that the 737-800 aircraft is just under seven years old. Airline ratings saying right now that that Boeing 737-800 was not a Boeing 737 MAX-style jet, which, of course, remember, had two fatal accidents and was taken out of service for a couple of years. Again, one report there on the jet, perhaps not being a 737 MAX, that is key because that is the airline that has been the source of so much focus, not only for Boeing, but for investors as well. It is a 737-800, but we do not believe, at least reports are, that it is not the max version of that jet. By the way, Boeing shares, they are down about 6%. Volume is still fairly light. It's a couple hundred thousand shares traded, but it is early and obviously a very scary and developing situation in China and Boeing. All right, to Ukraine and the Russia invasion, now in its 26th day, Moscow is regrouping its forces for a renewed offensive on Kyiv, that according to Ukrainian military officials. This latest push on the capital coming as Russia continues to tighten its grip around the city of Mariupol in the southeast. Just this morning, Ukrainian leaders rejecting a Russian ultimatum to surrender Mariupol in exchange for open humanitarian corridors out of the city. Meantime, back in D.C., President Biden will hold a call with his French, German, U.K. and Italian counterparts today as well. Multilateral call coming ahead of Biden's planned trip to Europe on Thursday. 
NBC News' Ali Aruzi joining us now from Lviv, where we should note that air raid sirens are going off. And so it may be a bit tough to hear Ali, but I want to get the very latest on what he is seeing and hearing on the ground. Ali. Hi there. Well, just on cue, as you mentioned, the air raid sirens, they just went off, uh, so they may come back on again. They've been going off very frequently today. They started at about three in the morning local time, and they've gone off about four or five times, which really does highlight the sensitivity in this country. And of course, Lviv is a safe zone. Uh, There haven't been any attacks in the center of Lviv. This is where the waves and waves of displaced people have come to escape the battered east, uh, south, uh, of, of the country, but um, it is it is a little uh, worrying. We had an attack on an air maintenance facility on the outskirts of Lviv a few days ago. That was just four miles from the city center, and of course that does make all of these people here very anxious. They've been trying to get away from these very heavily hit parts of the east of the country to the safety here. Uh, and if they if, and if Lviv gets hit, many of the people here don't have other places to go. And a lot of those people have come from Mariupol, where where you mentioned. I mean, we have spoken to many, many people from Mariupol. We've heard many accounts from Mariupol. uh, And it all paints a horrific picture of what's going on in those cities. Uh, So for them to be shaken up every morning like this with these air raid sirens here in Lviv is very worrying. And just to give you an update on that proposal by the Russians in Mariupol, late last night, the Russians said uh, that uh, they've given the fighters of Mariupol an ultimatum to leave the city by this morning, and then they would open up those humanitarian corridors. Uh, They obviously, the Ukrainians refused to capitulate. They're standing there fighting, so it's unclear what will happen to Mariupol in the coming hours and days. Uh, Absolutely scary situation there, including reports of uh, a number of Russian ships that may be sort of on the way to the region that is a port city. Uh, Ali Aruzi, thank you for being there and uh, look forward to reporting all day long. Take care. All right. So with the crisis in Ukraine showing no signs of easing, more attention being placed on China, its ongoing relationship with Russia and Vladimir Putin and its refusal to condemn the invasion of Ukraine and its possible role in brokering an end to the fighting. These are the issues that Presidents Biden and President Xi spoke about on Friday. Joining us now is Robert Cooney, is the chairman of the Kuhn Foundation and long-term advisor to China's leaders and multinational corporations. Uh, Robert, what is China's role? What is China's responsibility here? China sees itself uh, as a peacemaker. It really didn't want any part of this fight, but it has uh, seen that it cannot avoid being involved. Uh, We have to start with China's relationship with Russia. Because China believes that it needs Russia to counterbalance the U.S., which China believes seeks to contain its rise, thwart its sovereignty claims, particularly over Taiwan and in the South China Sea, and perhaps even change its party ruling political system, which President Biden's administration has clearly said that it it is not on its agenda. But putting it all together, China has the so-called no-limits strategic partnership with, with Russia. Now, that said, China has to deal with two sets of contradictory positions. First, supporting Russia while maintaining its long-term inviolate position on the sanctity of international borders and sovereignty, which has been the core 
of its foreign policy for decades. Secondly, supporting Russia while not overtly alienating the U.S. and, and, uh, and Europe, which is by far the vast majority of its of its international trade. Uh, but China has been sort of in a, uh, uh, trying to show a neutral, but yet skewing pro-Russian uh, position. You can see it in its yeah. media, repeating some uh, of Russia's disinformation, etc. But in recent days, after the call with, with uh, between Biden and Xi, you see a subtle uh, a shift, a course correction in the in the narrative. So China is now talking more about peace, more that its role can be with both sides can help facilitate some sort of peaceful solution. Because, Robert, neutrality right now is the tantamount to acceptance, is it not? I mean, Russia invaded a peaceful neighboring nation under the guise of, quote, liberations, 1939 all over again. Yeah, there's no doubt that China's position has this contradiction built into it. But it is now saying that maintaining its relationship with Russia can actually put it put China in a position to facilitate uh, some sort of uh, ceasefire, if not a a full uh, um, uh, peace uh, arrangement. Uh, Whether that's true and how that works, we'll have to see. But uh, I don't think we will see China backing off its position uh, in terms of its uh, relationship with Russia. It's not just that it needs and Russian energy and gas and the long-term commitments that it's made. It yep. really sees Russia as a bulwark against what it perceives as the, the U.S.'s uh, long-term uh, interest in uh, containing China, uh, uh, um, influencing its uh, sovereignty, human rights criticisms, mm-hmm. uh, and the and the, in fact, the whole party uh, uh, political system. So China's not going to be as they as they Robert. Sorry to interrupt. As, they, as, as China watches the world's reaction, the univer, near universal condemnation of right. Putin, of course, except for outside of China itself, does it alter their calculus on how they may ultimately perceive Taiwan? It certainly alters their calculus in a um, in a nuanced way in recent days, particularly after the phone call with with Xi. Uh, China has been a great supporter of the U.N. And we see overtly 141 nations voting uh, to condemn Russia, 30 some odd nations to abstain and only three or four other nations uh, to to oppose it. So China was on the vast minority side of that. That's uh, in the U.N. And, and China does not like to be in that position because the U.N. is so important to its uh, uh, diplomatic affairs uh, going forward on all issues. Regarding Taiwan, uh, China has been vociferous in trying to distinguish uh, Ukraine from Taiwan. And it does that by by admitting and stating overtly that uh, Ukraine is a sovereign country, whereas Taiwan, in China's perception, is a, an internal problem because the because yep. Taiwan yep. is is part of China. So they try to make that distinguishing. Uh, but it is it is a strain. And they're going to buy up all the Russian oil they can likely on the cheap and continue to help fund Putin's war machine because China cannot afford to not buy some of that oil. Robert Kuhn, really appreciate your views. Get you back on again soon. A story that is not going away. Thank you. All right, coming up, is housing in for a world of hurt? Former Fannie Mae executive Tim Rood says it may be, but maybe also for one reason that not enough are talking about. 
We'll do that in a moment, but as we had to break some deal news, Berkshire Hathaway is buying insurance conglomerate Allegheny Corporation for $848.02 per share in cash or about $11.6 billion. Allegheny, the ticker symbol is Y. Looks like it's going to become part of the Warren Buffett family. A good day for those stockholders, by the way. We're back right after this. The red-hot housing market cooling off a bit in February as home sales took a step back. The combination of rising rates and very little inventory making it harder for potential buyers to compete. The average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate loan now above 4% and rising fast, by the way. But there's another issue to, related to affordability that maybe not enough are talking about. Tim Root is Managing Director at Real Estate Services Company, Citus AMC, former Fannie Mae executive, and he joins us now. Tim, good to have you back on. Uh, I was looking through some of your notes here. I, you know, we, we need to build homes. I didn't realize that inside of every newly built home is maybe a hundred grand, not in lumber, but in paperwork. What's the regulatory problem here? That's just the building side of it. I mean, so yeah, regulatory cost on building a new home uh, basically is about a third of the cost of uh, of the new home sales price, which is just insane, right? Um, wow. It's ridiculous on so many levels. But then you even compound that, Sully, with the fact that it costs you almost $10,000 to produce a mortgage, all because of all this government overlay, the red tape and things like that. It takes less labor to build an F-150 than it does to assemble a mortgage. And it's mind-boggling because all these things flow down to and ultimately punish uh, prospective and current homeowners. It's hard to believe that there's that much regulation in, in every home, Tim. I know there's going to be some, but the fact that you're talking about a third, I mean, this seems like when, when government officials complain about affordability, you think this might be one thing they would actually occasionally mention. <laughs> It's, it's such a vexing problem, Sully, is the real issue is, is that the government doesn't, the federal government does not have a whole lot of control over what happens at the state and the county level. A lot of these things, the costs are actually go back to, you know, zoning prohibitions that came into place in the 1990s to basically uh, suppress sprawl, right? They didn't want increased density in these neighborhoods. So they started putting up all of this red tape, these barriers associated with, you know, new new community development, new home uh, construction and things like that, environmental costs, permitting costs, all of these things that was meant to just slow that growth of home ownership or the growth of new home development in the community to preserve the value of those communities. You know, the question, I think, Tim, probably because of my coverage of the financial crisis in 06 and 07, I get a lot of questions from people about where do I see housing going? I say, I don't know. Depends on where you are located. Some areas are going to continue to see a demographic boom. But nationally, Tim, uh, it seems tough. I mean, rates up, inventory down, regulatory costs up, uh, stock market lower. I, it just just seems hard to see housing booming from here out, though. But you're the expert. What do you think? I think we still got room to run. You know, it's funny when you mentioned, I was thinking about okay. the, when we first started talking about housing, like in 2010, in terms of the recovery, if you had bought at, in 2010, a median home for a hundred and whatever it was, $70,000, you would have made $230,000 profit on that investment. And think about it this way. If you had bought that house, you probably only put ten. $20,000 into it because of leverage, the leverage return, you just made 100, 200% on your money. 
Um, so, I mean, the, the opportunity for wealth yeah. creation and home ownership is undeniable. And while there's some oddball things happening in terms of some of the abstract numbers in the housing market, velocity in terms of how quickly homes are sailing has never been hotter. Uh, and the volume in terms of aggregate sales is pretty darn near the top. So there's plenty of demand, not enough supply, a lot of runway in front of us. Okay, the more optimistic view, and maybe we can bring down some of these regulatory costs. I mean, why don't they just put the papers in? We'll use that as insulation on the home. <laughs> Tim Rood, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, All right, as we head to break, let's get another check on shares of Boeing on the breaking news of a crash in China involving one of its 737-800 jets, although reportedly not one of the MAX versions. Details are still light. But China's aviation authority has confirmed that a plane operated by China Eastern Airlines crashed a few hours ago in a very mountainous area in southern China. There were 132 people on board. No indication on the number of dead. Rescuers have been dispatched to the site. Uh, The situation not seeming good. We're going to bring you more as we get it. More Water Changes back right after this. Time now for your morning RBI. Today, let's talk about COVID, because with everything else going on, we haven't talked about it very much lately. But we should, because there are some very positive trends going on that you may not have heard about. But we're here to tell you. So let's go. First, new cases are being crushed. We had just over 800,000 confirmed daily cases back on January 14th. That is down to fewer than 30,000 now, a drop of 96%. That is across the board in nearly every state. In fact, of the 20 most populous states that we track, there are two, Indiana and Maryland, where case counts are below 0.01% of the population. Now, they're not zero overall, but they're getting close. Can you imagine a day with zero COVID cases? It could happen. But of course, we know by now, both of us, that cases are a bad metric. You need to look at outcomes like hospitalizations, and those are doing really well as well. At our peak in early January, there are about 160,000 new COVID-related hospitalizations in America every week. Right now, it is below 24,000, a drop of 85% in just two months. And there are no hospitals where ICU use are above 10% for COVID cases in any of the top 20 states. Okay. So you've probably heard about this latest version of COVID called BA2, and it could, yes, send us down a bad path again. But there are two things that you should know about this latest version. First, it's not really that new. Johns Hopkins scientists sequenced it in early November of last year. So it's kind of been floating around for a couple of months. And early indications, like the amount of COVID in wastewater, are not showing any kind of real national uptick. Of course, at least for now. Could it all change? Of course. And hopefully everybody will stay vigilant and prepared. But right now, for now, after these terrible last two years for so many, can we just enjoy the fact that the case and outcome data is the best that we have seen since the beginning of the pandemic and that COVID right now is on the run and maybe actually see some children smile. Let's just enjoy it while we can, right? It may not last. All right, back down to the markets with all three major indexes coming off their best weeks since late 2020. Despite the bounce, your next guest believes there's still another leg down ahead. But that means opportunity to buy because you want to buy low and sell higher. Greg Branch is the managing partner of Veritas Financial Group and a CNBC contributor. And uh, Greg, welcome back. Good to have you on. You'll forgive me for reading. Sometimes I actually have to do that. Something 
from your latest note caught my eye. Quote, I believe the market is significantly underestimating both the impact to real companies. You can't tame inflation without negatively impacting growth, as well as how the decreased liquidity will lead to some asset price deflation. Explain. Right. So lots of banks are expecting, or at least were expecting, uh, five, the low 5,000s for the S&P 500. That puts us at around 20% growth. I think that that is the absolute best case scenario we'll see this year. And some of those banks have already started the negative revisions that I think we will see sustained and continuously over the next couple of months. Now, why is that? So the geopolitical conflict has in, have intensified many of the factors that had already concerned us in January. We're going to have energy price, price inflation. We see oil creeping up again because I do not believe that there is a quick diplomatic resolution to this conflict. I believe that there's only one outcome that Putin is focused on, and I don't believe that that will change. So that will cause disruption to one of the, the world's largest energy suppliers, which will continue that commodity price spike, which will in turn uh, spur other commodity price spikes, uh, wheat, metals, yep. etc. cetera. Uh, more than that, the global trade flows have been disrupted. The supply chains are impacted. And I hate to put any skepticism on that dose of optimism you just gave, Brian, but BA2 is in fact clo- uh, causing some closures in Asia, which is further disrupting the supply chain. Now, before this geopolitical Agreed. conflict- Agreed, look at Asia. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be optimistic on that, at least for now, as I said, Greg. I mean, it may right. not last, but at least right now, this moment in time, some kids, you can see them smile. I'm trying to find a reason to be happy with everything going off. You know, this is, and this is not hyperbole, Greg, this is the greatest- energy and commodity price shock since at least the early to mid-70s, period. End of story globally. All four previous price shocks have ended in recession. Do you think we're going to go into recession, which, of course, means that corporate earnings are going to come down, multiples are going to come down, and stocks are more likely to come down unless we have a, uh, a buyer of last resort. Wink, wink. I think it is far more likely that we end up in recession than we have an upside surprise in the fundamentals and the macro environment from here. And as you rightly pointed out, and you don't have to listen to you or I, the Department of Energy put out a report last Wednesday forecasting that oil would average 112 a barrel over the second quarter. And historically, when you've had that kind of price jump, if that is indeed going to come to be true, that plus a tightening Fed plus decreasing liquidity as they pull money out of the system is the perfect recipe for inflation. Now, let's dimension what that means. Typically, in the last five recessions, S&P earnings dropped about 30% on average. And so 30% from what most people are forecasting from here leads us to about $160 on the S&P. That's what we saw in 2019. And putting a 20 times multiple on that implies $3,200 for the S&P, a far cry from where we are today. And we can support that theoretically or philosophically by saying, yes, I do expect corporate earnings growth acceleration from the strong and intense headwinds on the top line and the bottom line that we're seeing across the board. Listen, uh, with all due respect, and a lot of our viewers are hoping that you are not correct on that, Greg, because that is that is a tough situation going forward. But this energy supply shock is just too massive. Food inflation has probably not even hit yet as bad as it is right now. Greg Branch of Veritas. Greg, pleasure to have you back on. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. 
All right, folks, as we head to break, we're going to give you a final check on shares of Boeing. Obviously, reports out of the China Aviation Authority of a crash, likely a very deadly crash, of a Boeing 737-800 China Eastern Airlines jet in a mountainous region of southern China. Rescuers on the way. Not a lot of details, but some of the uh, some of the stuff going around and reports uh, does not make it look good. That is going to impact stock futures as well. We are seeing Dow futures and NASDAQ futures off again as well. More details on this developing Boeing story and thoughts and prayers to everybody and their family members who may have been on board or know somebody who was on board as well. Squawk and the Gang are next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.